that claim to be uh, born again or claim, uh, claim to be a Christian. But it's interesting if you will investigate just a little bit with that person that says that they're a Christian, what they mean by that terminology. Uh, we are uh, living in a world today where terminology confuses people. Um, what does it mean to be saved? Well, you think that that would be universal. You think that would mean the same thing with whoever you're talking to. That's just not the case. And uh, used to be in certain areas, at least in certain areas, when you talked about being saved, it meant the same thing. Uh, but it just doesn't anymore. I was in the store and um, was listening to a conversation between two employees. One employee was talking about uh, she hated going out and dealing with the propane. And the other employee said, well, why do you hate dealing with the propane? And she said, well, if you do one thing wrong, boom, and it's over. And he said, well, at least boom, and it's over. And she made this comment. She said, well, boom, and it's over, and I either go up there or I go down there. And I was standing close enough to comment, and so I did. And I said, well, you can know whether you're going up there or down there. And, of course, people look at you like you got two heads. And uh, they didn't say mind your own business, but I think they wanted to. But... Um, and she said, oh, yes, yes, yes. She said, I know I am doing the very best that I can. And uh, you know when they want to stop talking to you, when they turn around and talk about it. And so she <laughs> just said that and kind of you know, walked away, and he walked away as well. And I thought to myself, how sad it is to realize that there are people, and there's probably a lot of people, who feel like they're doing the very best that they can. Doing the very best that you can has nothing to do with going to heaven. Doing the very best you can has nothing to do with where you spend eternity. Now, doing the very best you can is important after you're saved. And uh, certainly even then, it's by grace and through the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. But really going to heaven or where you spend eternity has already been finished. It's already been done. Jesus Christ already paid that sin debt. And he paid that sin debt not just for good people. Uh, matter of fact, he didn't pay that sin debt for good people. He paid that sin debt for sinful people. Because we are all sinful people. There's, uh, There's... None that are good, the scripture says. There's none that are righteous. No, not one. Not, not a single one of us are, are righteous people. I've learned through the years. I don't know if you've learned this lesson, but I hope you have. I don't think some people have, but I, I hope you've got to this place. The longer I live, the less judgmental I am of people. Let me give you an example of that. When I, was, when I was single, I had a lot of ideas about married life. And I had a lot of ideas about uh, 
Uh, well, let me tell you right now, my wife would never do that. My wife would never say that. Then I got married. And then before I had children, you ever been there? Before I had children, oh, 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 oh. I promise you, my children will never talk like that. They will never act like that. They will. And then you have children. And then you look and you look at a teenager and you say, oh, 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 let me tell you something. If that's my teenager, any, any, am I the only one? Anybody else ever face any of those things? Let me tell you something. The more you go along in life, the less judgmental you are of people or how they raise their kids or, you know, how they raise their teenagers or how they are in business or however it is. You're a lot less judgmental. And one of those reasons are one of those reasons is because you've grown up. Right? It's unfortunate. I'm not talking about getting older. I'm talking about growing up. There is a difference. I'm talking about being mature. Right? So there's a there's one thing about being mature and there's another thing about being older. There's a lot of older people that show zero maturity in them. But then there's another realm altogether, and that's the spiritual maturity that we have in uh, our Christian life. So when we do get saved, and when I say saved, I'm talking about what John chapter 3 talks about when it talks about being born again. See, we don't use that terminology today, and I think it scares people today, and I think when we use that word or use that terminology, many people even think that you're part of a cult being born again. It just sounds weird. I remember the first time I heard that as a lost person, born again. I guess it was kind of like Nicodemus. These people are, you know, out there. And so, but the Bible talks about being born again. Why? Because the the importance of 2 Corinthians 5.17, wherefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, okay? Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. So we're, we're newborn babes in Christ, hence the terminology born again. So when I'm talking about saving, I'm talking about being born again. I'm talking about knowing Christ as our Savior. I'm talking about placing our faith and our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and being saved. And so let's clarify that. that, that that's what I'm talking about by being saved. After we get saved, we we walk in this world, we walk in this life, and we grow up and we mature, hopefully we mature in the faith, because God doesn't want us to remain babes in Christ. God wants us to grow up, and he wants us to mature in the faith. He wants us to be able to um, uh, be able to make good decisions. He wants us to be able to make good judgments. He wants us to be able to uh, live our lives with direction and with guidance from the Spirit. You see, if you are saved and know Christ is your Savior, there are some things that are common with every saved person. Now, we all have different personalities. There's no doubt about it. There may be similarities between us, but then we have different personalities as well. So if you take two people and you, you put those two people together, and I promise you, 
there's going to be some similarities, but then there's going to be vast differences between those two people as well. But for a saved person, now that's going to be true and in some sense, but in some sense, there are things that are common between us. Number one, if you're saved, you know Christ is your Savior, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. See, what know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, you're not your own bought with Christ. So the Spirit lives inside of you. That's common for every born-again child of God. There is no child of God that doesn't have the Spirit of God. Okay? Now, there's a difference between being baptized with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Okay? So I want you to understand that. When you get saved, you get baptized with the Spirit. You get all the Holy Spirit. Now, being filled, remember Ephesians 5 talks about being a drunk with wine, where it's success. But be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit have all of you. Now that might be different amongst Christians. But the, the fact that we were baptized with the Spirit is not different. If you don't have the Spirit of God in your heart and your life, you are not saved. Okay? So then that's clear. It's, it's common amongst the, uh, all of us. Let me tell you another thing that's common amongst all of us. We all have the same access to God. Now that's been misconstrued. In, in, in much of religion today. But you have as much access to God as I do. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I have more access to God than you do. God is no respecter of persons. So you you can pray just as good as I can pray. You can get a hold of God just as good as I can get a hold of God. They are common. Those Some of those things, some of these spiritual things are common. So with these common things, that we have as Christians, we need to use these common things to be useful, to make a difference. You see, people come into your life that don't come into my life. We call that a sphere of influence. Right? There are people that you work with that I don't know. But but you know, you know them, you have a relationship with them, and you have a sphere of influence. And so there's, there's certain aspects uh, that, uh, that you have that I don't have. And so God gives us these tools so that we might be useful. I want to be, be useful. I want to, you know, if, if you've been in quarantine, you've been in quarantine, this is a, this is a praying to God. Listen to me. I am not a, I am not a sit-down Stay in one place, person. I'm just not. If if there's something to do around the house, I'll do that. If there's nothing to do around the house, I come to church. I mean, or, or I go and get something. That's just the kind of person I am. I'm constantly moving. Well, this quarantine, man. Man, when you got a quarantine, you got to stay in essentially one place. Here's the good news for me: I can quarantine in my office, and I love being in my office. And so, but many people can't. And they get trapped inside, and man, it just works on your nerves. Now, some people love it. Mind you, I know all people are different. But, but a lot of people, it, man, it just it works on your life because you want to get out. You want to do something. You want to be something. Let me tell you something. As a Christian, you want to have a desire to want to do something for the That ought to be a desire in your heart. That ought to be a desire in your life. To be able to be useful as a Christian. 
We said last week that Paul wrote this book. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. He writes this, this book to a problem church. And in 2 Corinthians 8, he gives the example of a powerful church. So here's the problem. And he says, in, in, in Corinth, Corinth was riddled with problems. And he said, okay, listen, this is what you need to do to fix that problem. And he gives examples. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he gives the example of the Macedonian churches. And he says, let me tell you about these Macedonian churches, how they can be a help to you, how they can be a blessing to you, so that you might be useful and you might follow their example. You know, see, the scripture calls us as Christians. To be examples of the believer. So that other people might see our good works and not glorify us, but glorify our Father which is in heaven. So it ought to be our desire to be the example that God has called us to be. The churches at Macedonia were that example. Would God consider? You would God consider me as an example to plug in here in place of these Macedonian churches? Would he, if he was writing, still writing letters today, would he write a letter to a problem church and give an example of your life? Or give the example of the life of our church? Would he say to that problem church, let me tell you about this church in Rankin. Hey, let me tell you about this household. Because, you know, God uses examples in the word of God. Remember the house of Stephanus? What was so unique about the house of Stephanus? You know what they were? They were addicts. What were they addicted to? They weren't addicted to drugs. They were addicted to what? The ministry. How cool is that? I mean, that's what God said about the house of Stephanus, that they were addicted to the ministry. You know what it is to be an addict, right? It means you have to have something. You have to have it. You know what they had to have in ministry? You know what every church and every Christian are addicted to ministry? You see, sometimes we've got this idea that the ministry uh, is for the pastor or is for the associate pastor or is for the missionary or the Christian school teacher or, you know, the, 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 the ministry is for someone that is in full-time Christian service. But I'm here to submit to you this morning that we're all in full-time Christian service. Every single one of us. And we ought to be uh, uh, ready to be used at all time, uh, all times for the Lord. First Timothy 4, verse 12, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. We need to be an example in all of these areas because other people are watching us. I want you to know your children are watching you. Well, my children are grown. They're watching you now more than ever. I promise you. They're watching you and say, hey, it's... What they're saying so is what they believe so. I can't wait for grandchildren. I can't wait. They say it's way better. I've heard on multiple occasions that 
people say, if, if we knew grandparenting was this good, we would have done it first. Great. I, I can't wait a minute. Now, is it going to be different? You better believe it. If, I mean, if they discipline my grandchildren in front of me, it's going to be over with. I'm telling you right now. I told you, you know, already, I said, listen, babe, when you when you get married and you have children and you go over to Epworth, just leave the children here. You, you can have them for the summers. I'll keep them the rest of the time. I can't wait for them. Is it going to be different? Sure, it's going to be different. Because you know what? We're all different. And we all face different stages in our lives, right? Now, you shouldn't be the same, you know, this year as you were 10 years ago. We've changed. We look different. We act different. We talk. Sometimes we even talk different. And, and, and the, but the way we are useful for the Lord shouldn't change. We should have a desire to be an example. We talked about it last week. We talked about uh, uh, being a powerful Christian or a useful Christian involves prayer. Uh, the importance of prayer. I mean, we couldn't uh, couldn't uh, put more emphasis on the fact that God's people need to pray. And we need to pray more than ever before. And then performance. We talked about uh, uh, walking uh, with the Lord and walking for the Lord. And the example of Jesus who said, I must be about my father's business. And then this morning, I want to talk about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 8. To, to look at verse 8, verse 24. The scripture says in verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. Look with me again, verse 24, and wherefore show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. So to consider being a powerful Christian or a powerful church or a useful church, and we must have we must have performance, and then we must have proof. We must have proof. When prosecuting an individual in the court of law, to succeed in that prosecution, you must have what? Evidence. You gotta have evidence. If you have no evidence, what happens? It gets thrown out. Because if there's not enough evidence that they're a criminal, then you can't prove it. Because you're not to, you're not guilty until proven innocent. You're you're innocent until proven guilty. So you've got to have that evidence to prove if you were arrested they came in here today and they put handcuffs on every single Christian and they brought you to jail and you went before the judge would there be enough evidence to prosecute you as a Christian would they find enough evidence in your life in your home in, 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 in your, in your uh, church, would they find enough evidence to prosecute you as a Christian? Evidence. Proof. What do we need to prove in our lives? What, what are the things that we need to prove in our lives? First of all, uh, uh, we talked about just already, uh, but that is of salvation. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Nobody can make you saved. As much as they desire to, 
Nobody can make you say, nobody can pray you into heaven. That's not biblical. You, you don't find that in the Word of God. The only way that you're saved is by you and you alone accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. So you and you alone, see, I can't see your heart. And you can't see mine. Now, I can tell you that I'm saved. And I can show you that I'm saved. See the importance of that. We said, man looked on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So we shall know them by their what? Their fruits. Right? You, you go by an apple tree, and you look over on the apple tree, and there's like these little round red things. And you, you look at it, and you take it down, and you look it over, and you bite into it, and you know it's an apple. So you assume, correctly so, that that's an apple tree. You don't pull an apple off of a tree, smell it, bite into it, taste it, the whole nine yards, and say, yep, that's an apple, but that must be an orange tree. You don't do that. Why? Because the evidence says otherwise. The evidence says it's an apple tree, so therefore, it's an apple tree. Now, there is grafting and all this other stuff. We used to, I used to have this, this, uh, this guy at our previous church, and he had an orange tree and a grapefruit. And, and they somehow grafted, if you bit into the grapefruit, it tasted sweet like an orange, and you bit into the, and bit into the, um, the, the orange it was like bitter sour. I'm not talking about that. Okay, so race that out. The evidence says it's an apple tree, so it's an apple tree. Does the evidence say that you're a Christian? Because that's the only way man can do. The only thing man can do is look at the outside. Now, oh well, we shouldn't judge and we shouldn't no, listen to me. People judge every single day. Every single day. I mean, we are constantly judging. We judge when we drive. We judge uh, uh, when we're at work. What do you think your boss does? I mean, how does he determine who's going to get a raise and who isn't going to get a raise? By judging. I mean, that's, that's just what we do. And so this idea that we're not supposed to judge and all this other stuff, listen to me. My point is people are looking at you. You're saying the truth. But the evidence is saying otherwise, and they're saying, yeah, no, it doesn't. I can't see that. I can't see that. Now, that doesn't change the fact of whether you're saved or not, but it does change the fact of how people view you. And we need to say, okay, I'm saved. Now, let me prove it. Let me show you that I'm saved. Let me show you how I live my life. In order to prove our salvation, we must first know that it is the way that we need to know these things. Number one, we need to know the way of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14 and verse 6. The Bible says in Acts 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There is only one way. It's not the best way. It's the only way. Do you understand that? I mean, it's a, well, there's this way, and there's this way, and I mean, we've got well, I mean, we got people, we got people getting up in in, in public forums 
uh, on national television uh, praying in, in other gods' names. It's ludicrous what we're facing in our world today. And people are saying, okay, okay. I mean, we have absolutely no idea because we have this idea that there's a God and this God is universal and this God's name changes and it, and it could be God and it could be Brahma and it could be Confucius and it could be Allah and it could be whoever you want them to be. But all smokes lead to the same hub. You won't find that in Bible. Now, you might find that in some religion. You might find that in some guy that gets up and speaks or preaches. But you won't find that in the, in the scriptures. Because the Bible says there is only one way. So you're telling me, preacher, that millions and millions and millions of people that don't believe the Bible are wrong. Yes. If you believe this book. Yeah. If you don't believe the Bible, then... Yeah, there, there's there's other issues, okay? But when it comes to the Word of God, we should not ever be shamed into believing, uh, shamed in believing this book. That's what people will do. They'll shame you into, well, you are you really that arrogant? Listen, if you want to call it arrogant, that's fine. But I'm as arrogant as this Bible. Well, you're close-minded. That's a famous one. You're just close-minded. Some people are so open-minded, their brains fall out of the concrete. That's, that's the problem. I'm as close-minded as this book. God said some things are and they're closed. Salvation is one of those things. He said, I am the way, and that's it. And, and, and we've got to understand that. We've got to know that, and we've got to not be afraid of that. We can't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Isn't that what Paul said? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1 and verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's Christ's gospel. We've got to know the way of salvation. We've got to know the wonders of salvation. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be saved? Oh, I remember, I remember, uh, I remember being lost. I remember the miserable life that I lived. I remember getting saved. I'm telling you something. I remember how glorious it was to be born again. To know that my sins are forgiven. Not one sin or two sins, but all my sins. They're all under the blood. You see, I am forgiven. I'm not perfect. I am strange. But I am forgiven. And I'm thankful that I'm not having to try the best I can to get to heaven. Why? Because I've placed my faith in Christ, and that is enough. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says that the angels rejoice in heaven over one person that gets Isn't that neat? The angels in heaven. I believe the angels in heaven rejoice because they don't really quite understand they don't, this, is, they, this is not for the angels. This is for human beings. Jesus said not for the angels. He just died for, for, for man. And so they rejoice every time uh, that there is one that is born again, one that is imagine, imagine with me this morning, just a couple of examples. God can take a lying, 
cheating, money-hungry sinner and save him and make him a disciple. Remember Matthew, tax collector? You remember Peter? God can take a loud mouth, arrogant, uneducated fisherman and save him and make him one of the greatest church leaders of all time. God can take a cruel, cold-hearted, religious persecutor, save him, and make him one of the greatest missionary church players of all times. Of course, we're talking about Paul, the writer of 13 New Testament books. Isn't it glorious? Isn't it wondrous what God can do? These aren't things that man can do. These are things that God can do. And by the way, God has done and God will continue to do. You see, I believe, I believe because the rapture of the church has not happened yet, that God still saves old sinners. Uh, praise God for that. And praise God that he can save you if you're not saved, if you'll place your faith and trust in him. Really, we can, we can only say, wow. Wow, what a great God. The way of salvation, the wonders of salvation, and then the workings of salvation. What does salvation do? What does, salvation, what does it mean to be saved? Number one, it means to have eternal life. John 3 and verse 16, Romans 6 and verse 23, John 5 and verse, 1 John 5 and verse 13. You don't have to wonder. You can know. You don't have to carry a lucky rabbit's foot around with you and hope that you're going to get to heaven one day. You can know. You know, sometimes we're so superstitious, aren't we? I mean, we can be so superstitious. When the black cat comes around, we're like, oh, my goodness. There's a ladder. Don't make sure you don't walk underneath the ladder. Listen, the reason you don't walk underneath the ladder is you're afraid you might collapse on it and kill you. Not superstition, right? And we all have some kind of, I, I've shared with you, I, I never preach without this right. I don't. I just don't. Every morning, I get up. I put, I put my, I put my pocket knife in my, in my pocket, and and I put this rag in my pocket, and I preach. Let me tell you something. Have I preached without it before? But I almost had a panic attack. Reached in my pocket, and I thought, like, really? It's like one of those rags that you get with your glasses. And by the way, you can touch these things. I mean, I don't use it. It's just old. I mean, Alex is probably 10 years old. And just, but it's, we all are kind of superstitious about some, something or other. But I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to salvation, there's no superstition in salvation. Salvation has been finished. Jesus cried that from the cross. When he cried, it is finished. And you can have eternal life. Here's the thing that we don't understand. All of us are going to live forever. Now, not this world. Thank you, Jesus. Sooner or later, our bodies break down. Usually sooner than later. And then we leave this world. But I want you to know, annihilation is not, is not, uh, is not taught in the Bible. So when we leave this world, we go somewhere for And really, church, understand this. There are only two choices on the show. According to the Bible, there are only two places. This idea of purgatory is not found in the scriptures. Yeah, it's not found in places. 
What are the two places? They're simple. It's either heaven or hell. That's it. There's the only two places that we're going to go. But we're going to go to one of those places forever and forever and forever. You see, when the Bible talks about hell, when it talks about the fire, it's that fire that never, that, that never goes out. And by the way, it's that fire that never is, never consumes. So it's being in fire and being on fire without being consumed. That's what the scripture talks about torments in hell. You don't hear much about that subject anymore. Nobody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants it just to go away. Matter of fact, I have a book uh, on the subject called What's Happened to Hell. And then what's happened when we stop preaching on it and we wish it would go away. And I'm telling you, I'm a preacher that wishes that it would go away because hell was never intended for human beings. Matter of fact, the Bible says it was intended for the devil and his angels. So God has done everything that he can. God has done a, a far beyond so that you never have to spend a moment there. You see, for the Christian, this is the worst hell we'll ever face. But for the unsaved, for the non-Christian, this is the best heaven we'll ever face. Sad things to think about, church, but there are things that, that are in the word of God that we just can't erase. You just can't take them away. They're there. We find them in the word of God. And God wants you to have a relationship with him. He has provided the way. It gives us eternal life. Number two, it gives us a new life. Second Corinthians 5.17 is quoted a, a bit ago. He's given us, a, we are new creatures in Christ. We've been made alive. Isn't it great to have a second chance? You ever got a second chance? Isn't that a good thing? Because God, I believe God's got second chances. I, I love the verse in the book of Jonah when Jonah decides to, uh, to do his own thing and go from the, try to flee from the presence of God. I love this passage. The Bible says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Aren't you glad God doesn't just wipe his hands when we mess up? Because, by the way, if he did, he would have already wiped his hands with us. No exceptions. But praise God, God gives us second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And some people, and isn't it a great thing? I'll tell you what a wonderful thing it is for a child to be born again. Be saved and know Christ as your Savior. Live. Live every day of their lives for the Lord Jesus. Yeah, right? Sometimes people say, well, that's not much of a testimony. That's the greatest testimony. But some of us didn't get saved as a child. And we had opportunities to get saved and rejected. And rejected. I didn't get saved the first time I heard the gospel, or the second, or the third, or the 50,000th. But God continued to give me another chance, and another chance, and another chance. And let me tell you, when I got saved, you know what he did? He changed me anew. He gave me new life. And if you're not saved and you don't know Christ as your Savior, one of the workings of salvation is that God will give you and can give you new life. And then it gives us a purposeful life. 
purposeful life. What a blessing it is to know that my life is purpose. What I do makes a difference. Is your life making a difference? I'm talking about making a difference for God. I'm talking about having purpose. Because God has a will for your life. The Bible talks about it in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, it talks about the, the will of God and knowing the will of God and, and, and doing the will of God and the power uh, uh, for the will of God. God says, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to be. Here's the, all the tools that go out and do it. That's purpose. When I was in the military, we would go out, we would go out on cruises. And, you know, and I'm not talking like Carnival or Disney. We go out on cruises, and the reason we go out on cruises, I always thought was just for them to torture us. So I always thought when I was a kid. That's all we ever were. It was one of the, one of the reasons I never stayed in, because I just couldn't stand being gone all day. And uh, so we'd be underway. Under, matter of fact, we nicknamed our church, our, our ship, USS Underwood. I mean, we were gone all the time. But I begin to understand that every time we went out, there was a purpose. There was a reason. We went over to um, we went over to the Mediterranean. We were over there for six months in the Mediterranean. And I'm not talking about, you know, we went over to the Mediterranean and man, we went and got to see all these places and had a six-month vacation. We had to go into the Red Sea and our home base was forgotten. Forgotten. Did you ever heard of that one? Forgotten. Matter of fact, it was just basically a slum. Forgotten Egypt. We, we, that's where our base was, and we go in and out. What was our purpose? We had a purpose. Our purpose was to stop ships and search them. Make sure they had no drugs. Make sure they had no weapons. That was our job. And, and a group of us, daily, we, 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 we take our guns and we get on a smaller boat and we go over and board that ship and we search the ship. Purpose. It worked. If we were going somewhere, we, we, we left one time when we, we were in, I was, I just got into, I just got into the Navy, just got to the USS Jack Williams and it was December and we needed to go do operations with the Canadians. Well, in case you didn't know where Canada was, it's north of us. In December. We went right up past Cape Hatteras and just kept going north. It's never been so sick in my entire life. I mean, we got out there and we were doing, I don't know if you've ever seen a frigate in an aircraft carrier, but our frigate, four of them could fit on the flight deck. So we were out there with our, with our aircraft carrier, our sister ships, and there would be times where our ship, our ship would be down here and the aircraft carrier would be up here. On the wave. And the next time the aircraft carrier would be missing, wouldn't even show up on radar. Be down here, we'd be up here. I got pictures of me walking on the wall. Because we would list like this, and you'd have to walk on the wall like this. We got up there and contacted the Canadians, and the Canadians said, You're out of your mind. What are you guys doing? I'm thinking to myself, Exactly. What are we doing? What is the purpose? What is the reason for us all being sick? But to work, it was purpose, it was reason. 
everywhere we went. His purpose. Let me tell you something. God is our commander in chief. And he's got a purpose for your lives. Wherever you go, it's not always going to be pleasant. Now, I'm thankful that when we were over the Mediterranean, we got to see some places I'll probably never get to see again. I mean, I got to see, you know, the, the Parthenon in, in, in uh, Greece. I got, to, I got to see the pyramids in Egypt. I mean, I got all sorts of things I got to see while I was there. Glorious thing. But the purpose was, the reason was, this is what I got for you. And God's got something for you. He wants you to be useful. And sometimes it'll be touring the Parthenon and it's just absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, you walk up 362,000 stairs to get there, and I mean, just it's absolutely. I'll never forget this Mediterranean restaurant that's right at the bottom of the Parthenon. We ate there, it was just so glorious, it was so wonderful, and we loved it. Then what happens when your life is being changed? There's times where you raised your gun and somebody else raised their gun. Same, same purpose. Same reason we were over there. But I'm going something. There are good times, there are bad times. There are mountaintop times, there are valley times. And they are all part of our purpose. God's got you here for such a time as this. And now it's time that we realize what that purpose is and begin to walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads for prayer. This morning our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Are you a useful Christian? A powerful Christian, are you living your life for the Lord? One day it'll it'll all be done. I, you know, I don't know when that day is, neither do you. You have no idea. But one day it'll all be done. And we'll stand before the Lord. And we have this erroneous idea that we'll all hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's just not. We won't all hear those words. But those that have lived their lives with purpose and for purpose and lived their lives, I'm not talking about being perfect because we're not. We're all human. But man, when you live your life honoring and glorifying your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when we do get to the end, it'll be worth it all. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not saved. You've never placed your faith and trust in Christ. Can I tell you, Jesus loves you and he wants to save you. It's simple. Well, I'm telling you, God didn't make it difficult. Man's made it difficult. God's made it simple. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the scripture says. Plus nothing left. Place your faith and trust in him. And he will save you. He promised. And God never goes back to his promise. Let's stand together and have our eyes closed. Instruments playing this morning. Give invitation. Can I invite you to come? Maybe you don't know Christ, your Savior. Can I?